we're back. Did you miss us? Okay, let's take a step back. In case you're new here, I'm Rima Musa, a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, and this is the Tech Policy Grind podcast, where young professionals in the tech law and policy space chat with the emerging and seasoned leaders in the field on all the fun, interesting goings-on in tech policy that affect our world. Thanks for joining us. If you've been around for a little while, you might remember that we promised in our end-of-year and end-of-season recap that we'd come back for season four of the show in time for the State of the Net conference, which happens on March 6th in D.C. But there's just too much happening in tech policy to leave you hanging for two whole months. So while we're eagerly anticipating our return in just over a month, we thought we'd stave you all off with a discussion on one of the biggest tech policy headlines these days. Is TikTok really getting banned? This news is a big deal, and the situation is evolving quickly. TikTok's CEO is scheduled to testify before Congress in March, and the House Foreign Affairs Committee plans on holding a vote next month on a bill that endeavors to block TikTok's use in the U.S., citing national security concerns over the app, which is owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance. So to decode all this, Foundry fellow Joe Catapano sat down with two leaders of the top tech trade associations, yeesh, say that four times fast, in Washington, D.C., Adam Kovakovich of the Chamber of Progress and Carl Zabo of NetChoice. They discussed the issue on everyone's minds these days. Is TikTok getting banned in the U.S.? And should it be? Adam is the founder and CEO of Chamber of Progress a new center-left tech industry policy coalition promoting tech's progressive future. Carl is the vice president and general counsel at NetChoice, whose stated mission is to make the internet safe for free enterprise and free expression. Joe is a member of the fourth class of Foundry Fellows. He currently works on the global stakeholder engagement team at the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, otherwise known as ICANN. Alrighty. Now that that's all out of the way, we'll get right to the good stuff. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed listening to it. Little, uh, little thing in the news, uh, you know, uh, lately around uh, TikTok and, and what we do with it here, you know, in the United States, how it's handled, um, you know, legally and, and uh, from a regulations perspective. Um, you know, I think this audience here for the tech policy grind all knows why the TikTok situation is garnering so much attention and why it's unique. Uh, from but from the perspective of you know data collection, which is really what you know the crux of the issue here. I would like uh, both of you to just give me a sense of is, in your opinion, is TikTok unique, and if so, why is it? So when it comes to TikTok, the question that you're asking is kind of the right one. What is the data collection? What, what is going on? The way that the Apple and Google Android and iPhone devices operate, a device and app can only gain access to the services and uh, protocols that you allow it access to. Uh, there's this rumor that's been going on for years, you know, Facebook is listening to me. Well, that's absolute, uh, absolutely false. Facebook can't access the microphone unless you allow it to access a microphone. Likewise, TikTok, Google, Gmail, uh, what Spotify, any of the apps you have on your phone are sandboxed. And 
What that means is they cannot reach across and grab different files, different protocols, different APIs, unless specifically authorized by the user. They cannot access your microphone. They cannot access your contacts. They cannot access your photos. They cannot access anything that you don't specifically authorize them to do to reach outside their sandbox. TikTok, just like every one of the other apps on your phone, is in the same bucket. It cannot access your photos unless you authorize it. It cannot access your camera unless you authorize it. And those controls are given to the individual, and that's where it should be. It empowers us to decide what type of access is allowed. Now, I went the other day and I signed up for a TikTok account. They asked for only two things. They asked for my birth date, and they asked for an email address. Birth date, I just put in uh, that I was born in 1920. Cool, got on. Email address, uh, I used one of those junk email addresses that I used to sign up for, for all the free gifts and services that I never checked. Done. And I had access to TikTok. That's the only information I provided to TikTok. And I was able to see feeds. I was able to see things that I liked. And that's kind of the type of data we're talking about. We are not talking about truly sensitive data. And that's what I think is unfortunate in this conversation is we have moved away from what is a critical, what is an essential issue to discuss, where we lump privacy in this giant bucket of data, as opposed to identifying what is truly sensitive, what is truly personal, what is truly important information that is being transferred. And this is not just a TikTok problem. This is applies to all data collection across the internet. This applies to all the privacy discussions we are seeing across the country. And so at the end of the day, we must ask ourselves, what do we want to be concerned with? And what is the type of information we need to concern ourselves with? That's where this conversation needs to start. Now, to the extent that TikTok's collecting information, yeah, that should be observed. That should be enforced against. That should be uh, analyzed. And that's what we're seeing today from our intelligence experts here in D.C. and across the country. I am not an intelligence expert. I'm not a national security expert. But I will rely on the national security experts to let me know, is TikTok a national security threat? And right now, the jury's out. The jury's out. There's been a process going on for several years from our government as to whether TikTok represents a national security threat. And what I don't want to see happening are two things. One, people trying to leapfrog our national security experts and assume that something is a problem or isn't a problem before the evidence is in. And second, what we are seeing from some of these bans on TikTok is an, almost an effort to escape the underlying and critical issue that needs to be happening around data security, around national security. And what I worry about is people will say, oh, I banned TikTok on government devices, put up a mission accomplished banner, and then just move on as opposed to getting into the real important issues of securing our national infrastructure, because it doesn't take anyone a lot of time to remember, just a couple of days ago, the entire FAA grounded all airplanes due to a computer glitch. So we have a lot of problems we need to look at it this in this country. National security experts are looking at TikTok. Simultaneously, we need to begin analyzing all of our national security across the board. So I, th I, uh, I normally agree with Carl on most things <laughs> that comes with respect to tech policy, but I think this is one area where we, where we disagree. 
I think I'd just start off by saying that we've never really had this situation before where one of our most popular social media apps in the United States, in, and certainly the most popular in terms of rising popularity, is owned by the Chinese. That's never happened before. So this is a unique situation. And it's not, China's just not um, a, a country, another country that happens to, you know, have a, um, have a successful social media app. It's, um, you know, by far like our most important kind of rival, technologically speaking. And of course, in China, unlike the United States, there's really not much um, gap between the government's role and that of companies. There's no due process with respect to going to companies and things like that. So my my big concerns really about TikTok. First of all, I'll just say like it's an amazing app, right? And and I think like it's earned all of its success. Like all of its success is is um, legitimately earned. There's a reason why it's captured so much user usership in this in this country. My concerns really about it are twofold. Um, the first is really. Uh, about the potential for uh, TikTok to be used as a propaganda tool by the Chinese government. And I don't think that this is happening in any overt way today. So I, I, I want to be um, like uh, acknowledge that. But I do think that it is a strategically important asset for the Chinese in terms of what content is allowed, not allowed. Um, and ultimately, they are going to make decisions that are guided by the Chinese government's policies um, with respect to what's allowed. Again, they may be more permissive now than they might be in the future. So I recognize that there's that that's an area for study, but I definitely worry about that. And the second concern I have is that um, I don't worry so much about the question of what data is collected, because in general, I believe, you know, TikTok, like most services, is collecting exactly the amount of data that they need to collect in order to make the service work well. So I don't really um, argue with Carl on that point. My concern is really that um, TikTok has spent the last couple of years trying to assuage concerns about whether the Chinese government has access to data, whatever data the company employees have access to, and they really can't provide any assurances that the Chinese government doesn't. And I think it's pretty clear that the Chinese government does, because if you are a Chinese company um, based in China, you have to provide that kind of access to the Chinese government or else the Chinese government will not allow you to continue operating. Um, the TikTok, I think the U.S. employees who were trying to kind of uh, navigate a way through the company's current political predicament have spent the last several months working on a proposed agreement whereby, um, you know, whereby basically all data from U.S. users would be stored in the United States. But some of the reporting that's been done by Forbes and BuzzFeed and others has sort of shown that despite that, the company still has not been able to assure um, the U.S. government or anyone else that that data, even if stored in the United States, would not be inaccessible to uh, either Chinese employees of the company or therefore the Chinese government. So I think those are the two kind of big concerns that I have about the company and kind of its links to the Chinese government and really, really an unprecedented situation. Um, that we we have with this app. So what we have here is, you know, we have an app that's very popular, right? We got a, a billion users worldwide. We've got roughly ninety million in the United States, um, and you know, the the word obviously that's being thrown around most is ban, right? And there's a lot to unpack with that. Um, so. I think before we go into kind of the nitty gritty of, you know, what's in, uh, you know, bills and uh, laws and such, um, what, 
what do you see? Like, what does a TikTok ban look like in practice, right? So there's a number of laws that have gone into effect on the state level and the local level. Obviously, we just had um, the the ban on uh, TikTok on U.S. government devices. Um, so when we use the word ban, right, what does what does that mean? Well, I, I think there's, as you said, there's what the federal government just passed and there's what a couple of states have, have looked at doing through either through legislation or th- through unilaterally through a governor, which is essentially a pretty limited thing, which is essentially that the app cannot be on the devices of government employees, state government employees, federal government employees. Um, that's a pretty limited thing. I, I, I view that almost as more symbolic, a kind of a symbolic gesture of their concern rather than anything that's going to have a meaningful impact. For what it's worth, I don't think it's very realistic to ex- to, to expect that the app would, should be banned. I don't think anybody's going to ban it uh, for consumers. My own feeling is that I think the government should do what it did in the case of Grindr uh, three years ago, which is require a divestiture. Um, in the case of Grindr, Grindr was uh, an app is an app that was sold to a Chinese owner. It was uh, gone. It went through the CFIUS process. Through the CFIUS process, there were concerns raised that um, Grinder itself, the app, had a lot of sensitive information about who might be gay and closeted, including particularly officials or executives, you know, people in power. Um, people who might be HIV positive and and not that not be information not be out there. There was at least enough concern on the part of um, government officials in the in the case of Grinder that they went to um, the Grinder's Chinese owners and basically said quietly, "You you have to sell. You have to sell your ownership to a U.S. firm." That was done very quietly, by the way. It took about a year um, between the time that that report a report came out, a, a really a leak came out about what Cifius was going to do in the Grinder case, and the time that the company was as later sold to a U.S. holding firm. I think that's a very realistic possibility, maybe even the most realistic thing that would happen here. I don't, I don't think a ban makes sense. To be perfectly honest, I think most of the concerns here would be addressed by a, a divestiture to a U.S. owner. So, uh, with respect to the bans, we we have two different issues and two different buckets we're talking about, and Adam, I think, laid them out pretty well. The first is what a lot of people are talking about. Oh. Congress has banned TikTok or the state of South Dakota has banned TikTok. Well, not really. Basically, the government is an employer. The state of South Dakota is an employer. Heck, I'm an employer. And basically what the federal government and the state did was say, our employees cannot use TikTok on work devices. That makes sense. We all do that all the time. Every business decides what their own IT protocols are, what types of sites and services are appropriate or inappropriate for their employees. And that's what you saw in these quote unquote bans. Uh, I, I actually think the government should go further. I, government employees at the end of the day work for the people. They work for taxpayers, they work for us. We pay their salaries. And when they are working for us, I don't want them watching TikTok. I don't want them watching Netflix. I don't want them doing anything other than their job. So yeah, if you don't need an app to do your job, it shouldn't be on a government device, period. So let's not stop there. Moving to the broader conversation, uh, which is twofold, as Adam laid out. Uh, First, we have the complete ban approach. Uh, Say, this is a national security threat and we are going to completely ban it. Once again, 
this is leapfrogging the national security experts. With the Grinder case, CFIUS had already basically made a decision that divestiture had to be made that there was a national security threat. That has not yet occurred. So once again, we're trying to leapfrog the cybersecurity experts. But second is the precedent it sets. The notion that the government could come in and essentially without you know, clear evidence, clear decisions from national security experts decide to ban an app, that's really scary. And, and that should give us all a lot of pause. NetChoice has several lawsuits. Uh, we've got one in Florida, one in Texas, one in California, all centered around protecting against government control of free speech. It's what we've been fighting for for the past 20 years at NetChoice. And when it comes to the issue of the government just deciding an app is or is not allowed because of quote unquote national security concern, that's terrifying. It's a violation of the First Amendment. And today it's TikTok. Tomorrow it could be uh, Rumble or some, some other app that the administration happens to not like or decides is something that they don't support. That's where we begin drawing the line. Remember, NetChoice does not represent TikTok. We don't represent any of our members. We represent the industry at, on the whole. And that's what we're here to do. We are to defend against attacks when there isn't any evidence. That's the way we've always operated here in the US. And as an American, if I don't like what TikTok is doing, if I am worried about what TikTok is using, you know what, I have a very simple solution. I just won't use the app. I won't install the app. I won't give it access. Now looking to the second component, which is the requirement for a divestiture. Once again, this is leapfrogging the cybersecurity and national security experts. If they come out and make a clear determination that there is a national security threat, that changes the conversation a lot. It changes the conversation a lot for NetChoice as well. But that hasn't happened yet. There was a demand, there was a request for divestiture that has already happened. It happened under the Trump administration where President Trump demanded that TikTok divest to one of his biggest supporters, Oracle. That's not a coincidence. And once again, the notion that the government, without evidence, without clear decisions from national security, could come in and demand a divestiture is really scary. It should frighten us all because we can quickly see how the politics, the influence peddling, the money can quickly decide who is going to seize control, who is going to get control, not because of innovation, not because of the free market but because government demanded it. And that's once again, where we need to draw the line. At the end of the day, we need a robust and deep conversation about national security. And I think Adam's absolutely right. A lot of the actions that you've seen taken are kind of just trying to do a check the box or a symbolic gesture on how I'm tough on China. China is a real threat. And I completely agree with Adam. It is not something we should back away from. That is why we need a robust investigation. I would also note that two of the greatest national security breaches, one is solar cities, or sorry, solar winds, I apologize. Solar winds, which is a Texas-based company, lost incredible amounts of data. And the second is OPM, which was a Chinese hack. And the OPM breach, the Office of Personnel Management, the files contained within are not just like people dancing or, or singing along to something. They were the background investigations on all of our top level government officials to provide national clearance 
many of us in D.C. were victims of that OPM breach. That's the type of data that the Chinese have today. And that's where we should be continuing to also focus on. So I encourage CFIUS to go through a robust, deep investigation. But simultaneously, we should not allow TikTok to be the exemplar, the punching bag, to check the box for the incredibly important national security and cybersecurity discussion that needs to happen. And when we saw the ban on TikTok get lumped into the omnibus at the federal level, we missed out as Americans on that important discussion on the floors of Congress, in the houses of, of our legislature, and to actually create concrete ways to deal with this problem. Okay, thank you. I'd like to, there's a lot in there that I'd like Adam to have a chance to respond to. So I think we've got a few things that I'd like you to, to touch on, if, if, you, if you may. Um, are we dealing with kind of a slippery slope type scenario where, you know, it start with like Carl outlined, it starts with TikTok and it, you know, kind of extrapolates itself into other, you know, applications and areas. Um, what are your opinions on divestiture? Um, and if you have, you know, kind of any thoughts on, on his, uh, the omnibus and, and uh, processes and, and that nature. Sure. Uh, well, I always like to say, all, all, you know, slippery slope arguments, all slopes are slippery <laughs> uh, because you rarely hear about a non-slippery slope. Um, but I do think that like the reason, like the CFIUS process is always very case specific, right? It's very, um, it's very specific to what's actually happened. And I wouldn't assume that CFIUS agencies, particularly the national security agencies, haven't conducted some kind of um, security threat analysis, um, because I, I would I would guess that they probably have. Some of the recent reporting that's come out about the CFIUS rep- uh, process has suggested that the, the uh, FBI, Justice Department, and national security agencies are much more concerned about um, TikTok's Chinese ownership than any of the other agencies, and that that's interesting to me because it may it may or may not reflect that there was some kind of intelligence and assessment done. I think one of the things that's kind of interesting the the other parallel besides the grinder Asifius case where we required a divestiture was um, the the way in which the government dealt with Huawei um, Chinese uh, networking company and this was a you know this was a case where really it was the FCC that led on this um, and as far back as 2020 um, formally designated. Um, Huawei, a national security threat. They literally came out with a press release saying, we have concluded based on our study, and and I assume uh, work with national security agencies that Huawei represented a security threat. Um, They didn't, they didn't, you know, come out and say, here's the, you know, here's the case that we found where it's possible or uh, for the Chinese government to snoop on Americans through, you know, this networking equipment, but certainly they felt strong enough, they identified it as a threat. And, you know, I think one of the things that's kind of interesting to me about this is that there's there's a, the whole complexity of the U.S.-Chinese government relationship. And, um, and at a time when that was very fraught under President Trump, his CFIUS, CFIUS under his administration, negotiated uh, and demanded this um, divestiture requirement for Grindr. It was done quietly. It was done not as part of a big multi or bilateral um, dispute between the two countries, and um, and it and it succeeded. You know the the Chinese owners did not. Um, we don't know if they objected. They certainly didn't publicly object. The sale was done quietly to a U.S. holding firm, 
I agree with Carl, the way that President Trump handled it with respect to like basically brokering a sale to a politically favored uh, company, Oracle was absurdly corrupt and <laughs> that's not the way it should be done. But I also think that there's a much uh, easier, better way of handling it, which is essentially to require um, require divestiture, require the company to go quietly seek multiple bidders. If TikTok is told by Cepheus, again, quietly that they have to, uh, they have to be sold to US owner, they will then start a process of essentially talking to a variety of, you know, large US companies, um, and sell themselves to the highest bidder. And, um, and of course, that would have to be approved by Cepheus as well. But but I think that there is precedent for this. I don't think this is an unprecedented thing. Um, again, I think the Grinder case being kind of one of the most interesting precedents and the Huawei case being an interesting precedent as well, although it was not done through the CFIUS process. It was really done more through the FCC's rule. Great. Thank you. Um, going uh, into, you know, kind of a little more in depth into the, you know, divestiture um, kind of scenario. The idea has been floated of U.S. authorities having veto power over the appointment of TikTok's U.S. operations leadership. Um, do either of you have any thoughts on that? Well, as I said earlier, like I'm very sympathetic to what I think that the U.S. leadership of TikTok has been trying to do for the last probably year, which is essentially try to they they, they cannot they're not empowered to agree with a divestiture request. So they're trying to negotiate the best possible outcome for the company short of a divestiture. And that's essentially, as, as has been reported, would involve some kind of potential monitoring. Maybe Oracle, as their data center partner, has some ability to audit their algorithms. Maybe there's some auditing. I think the problem with that is we don't really ever know. And I'm not sure that any of those people are really ever going to know what the Chinese government is really saying and doing. And this is just the, the structural challenge of the Chinese ownership of the company, which is that I don't think the American employees of TikTok are ever really going to know what the Chinese uh, bosses of the company are saying and doing and communicating with the Chinese government. That's just the reality of being a Chinese-owned firm. China, the Chinese government can, can and has essentially disappeared um, business executives and firms who are not complying with the government's requests. And that's something that the Chinese leadership of the company has to live under. So um, I, again, I am very sympathetic to the American employees because I think they've tried to negotiate the best possible outcome short of divestiture. I just don't think any of those things short of divestiture really solve um, the propaganda concern and I think the data access concern. I mean, so I'm, I'm an attorney, right? And I operate on facts and evidence, not accusations and innuendos. And that's why I keep coming back to the national security experts. We have yet to see clear and convincing evidence from national security experts that there is a problem to justify these extreme actions. Uh, it, it's kind of a, if this is so obvious, that bad actions are happening, then the evidence should be rapidly available in the CFIUS investigation. CFIUS is, is kind of a subdivision Department of Treasury, national security experts on, on foreign investment in Americans. That investigation should have been open and shut. That should have been done and complete. It's been going on for a while. So either the jury's out or somebody is dragging their feet. Um, I 
former government employee happen to think it's usually the latter. Uh, and, and I've got reason to believe that. But I can tell you that the underlying issue before us is, are we going to allow and force somebody to prove a negative, essentially, rather than identify actual and clear and convincing evidence that a harm has been committed. And that's the problem. And, and Adam really kind of uh, made that clear. In order to prove that somebody hasn't done something, that's proving a negative. You have to show, it's something you can never do. And every time TikTok comes forth with a new rule, new regulate, uh, new evidence, uh, new policy procedure, everyone's gonna say, yeah, but. And that's kind of the problem that they're in. So, they, and, and I can tell you this, cause I've seen it they have pivoted into one of the most impressive security apparatuses I've ever seen. And they're doing this not out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it because they are facing this systemic threat to their business with the perception of data flows between the United States and China. And this apparatus costs billions of dollars a year. It is uh, going to be overseen and uh, boxes are going to be checked not only by companies like Oracle, who will house all of the American data here on American servers, and by the way, Oracle is an American company, but there will be incredible oversight by the government at the same time. And this is the steps that they are taking, not necessarily because there is any wrongdoing, but because they recognize they can't prove a negative. And they can't, as much as they tell people, nothing to see here, don't worry about it, nobody will ever actually believe that. And that's kind of where we end up with this. But time and time again, we keep coming back to the issue of why are we talking about TikTok? We started this conversation with what type of data is being collected? Okay, it's not very sensitive. It's not very useful data. If you want to know what Americans are interested in, there are much cheaper and easier ways for the Chinese to get that information. Heck, there are literally groups called data brokers that will sell you that data. Simultaneously, they could just grab something like the Nielsen ratings of what's the most popular TV shows being watched right now. So there's much easier ways for the Chinese to get this data that we're also concerned about. What are people interested in? Well, it's not that complicated. Simultaneously, let's look at, okay, they're going to weaponize it against American people. They're going to decide what type of data is going to be shown, promoted, or removed. Well, we actually just had a report coming out completely debunking the impact on the 2016 election cycle. There was this narrative going around that Russian ads on Facebook were the reason why Hillary lost. Well, no, security experts actually went in, did the detail analysis and realized, wait, no, actually it had no outcome on the 2016 election. So we have to ask what type of influence would that actually have on Americans? Okay, let's presume that number is high. Well, part of the reason that TikTok has taken these steps is the code that does the processing on what type of videos to promote or remove will be housed exclusively on Oracle servers. That code will be verified and analyzed by Oracle before it even goes into effect. The only thing that is keeping TikTok from being able to flip the switch on making this data safe and secure is our own government. As soon as CFIUS dots the I's and crosses the T's and signs off on three year incredibly long process to find nothing, 
then TikTok can take the necessary steps that we're all calling on them to do, which is increase that privacy. But once again, let's go back to what is the bigger issue. The bigger issue is the cybersecurity threats that we are facing day in and out from uh, uh, nations like China, like Iran, like Russia. And sometimes the easiest point of failure is our own government, is our own infrastructure. So rather than using this uh, convenient punching bag, we need to have a real robust policy discussion and not use this company to beat up on the CCP, but have the difficult conversations that a lot of people don't want to do. And this can't just simply be a check the box mechanism because we do have real problems that must be addressed. And I look forward to the report coming out from CFIUS and our cybersecurity experts letting us know whether this was all in our mind or whether this is a real threat that we need to take home and do something about. Because then we will have the information, we will have the evidence, we will have the procedures have gone through to put us in a position to make decisions, not accusations and innuendos. Thank you very much, Adam. I want to give you a chance to respond uh, to all that, if, if you may. Sure. Well, I think one thing I would say is that you know one 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 of the um, proposals that TikTok has put forward is this idea that Oracle employees, American Oracle employees, are going to audit TikTok's algorithms for making sure that they're appropriate. Look, TikTok and Oracle are business partners, right? Oracle is not a branch of the government. It has no incentive to di drop a dime on its business partners. So I really don't see how that actually, you know, provides any particular assurance of, of appropriate behavior. But I also think, um, you know, there've been things where they say, you know, the government might have, a U.S. government might have approval for like who the U.S. officers are and things like that of the company. Again, I think the reality is that the Americans are never going to be in charge at TikTok, right? And they're never, and Carlson has sort of said, you know, that proving a negative, and that's absolutely right. That is, in fact, the problem, that um, the company cannot, its American executives cannot say in testimony when they've been asked that the Chinese government has never, you know, gone through the back door to access information or never leaned on a Chinese employee of the company to get uh, information or never applied some kind of direct or indirect pressure for how the company does content moderation. All of those things are a problem. And maybe they're not a huge problem today, but they're going to become a huge, they're going to become a bigger and bigger problem in the future. And I really just don't see a path, to be perfectly honest, for TikTok to be an even bigger app in the United States and remain under Chinese control. That is just not something I see as particularly viable for them. And so I, I really, you know, believe that divestiture to a U.S. owner will solve and address most of these questions and will frankly give TikTok freedom um, and to be out kind of from under the cloud of all these questions. But then but then you have to sort of say, well, you know, sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't think there's an issue with the Chinese TikTok being owned by the Chinese or, or Chinese uh, government role here because it's just like a harmless video app and like it's not that big of a deal, right? But then you, you know, there's been some reporting that the Chinese government would really resist a U.S. government divestiture demand. And if that's true, you really have to ask yourself, well, if it's just a harmless video app, 
why would the Chinese resist a divestiture man demand, right? I believe the Chinese government sees TikTok as a really important economic and strategic and even national security asset for itself in the United States, in the West, and would be very reluctant to give it up. And because they do, I think that's exactly why the American government should take action, because the Chinese think it's important. The fact that the Chinese government thinks it's important is the reason why we should view the Chinese ownership of TikTok as important and as something actionable. China doesn't allow TikTok to be offered to Chinese, the Chinese people. They know it's a really powerful tool. They also don't allow a lot of our services. They don't allow Facebook. They don't allow Google, YouTube, Twitter to operate in China either, right? And so they're discriminating against our companies. Um, and so in some ways, we've we've actually, there's a there's also, a, I, would, I would add, although I think this is the main driver, that there is an imbalance between what we give, the access we give to our market to the Chinese versus the access that they give to us. Um, you know, I, I, I remember this past spring when Russia invaded Ukraine and one of the quick early questions that was, uh, that was under discussion was the uh, Russian propaganda network RT, which we were allowed, we had allowed to operate on this, in this country and operated in Europe. And, um, and I think, you know, we, soon after that, inv the invasion happened, essentially a lot of public and private pressure was placed on cable companies to drop RT. And they essentially went out of business in the United States. They, they're completely dissolved. And I think I look back on that and they say, I, I think, gosh, why did we ever allow RT to operate in this country in the first place? It was a Russian government propaganda tool, right? And so I, I do wonder if we will look back on this period of kind of inaction on TikTok and, and wonder the same thing at some point. Again, I don't, don't think there's uh, it, it's quite as overt as RT was, but I think that it is clearly a tool that the Chinese government views as important, which I think why they would resist the divestiture demand. I mean, I, I could see any government resist a foreign government's demand that would harm one of their businesses. Imagine if France demanded that the United States divest of Google. Absolutely, I would expect our government to stand up and oppose that because they're attacking an American company. So is are there ulterior motives from the CCP? Possibly, I can't speak to that. But I would expect any government to protect its own in-house businesses from foreign attempts to like force divestiture. I do also worry that this assumption of divestiture will achieve and solve the problem and the bigger problem and the conversation that needs to be happening, which is America's connection and how much we want to integrate and work with China. Let's remember, Nike and the NBA are American businesses. They are American companies. And we have seen how they shut down speech about protests in China, how they talk to their players and tell them not to raise issues and punish coaches who show support for Hong Kong. These are American companies, but because of America's entanglement with China, it does impact how they operate here on the U.S. And clearly, there are pressure points that the Chinese government can push even on American companies from across the sea. So once again, this is a much bigger issue than just TikTok. We need to figure out how the United States is going to integrate, engage, and operate with the CCP, with China, with Hong Kong, with these foreign nations. 
we do international tr trade and transactions all the time. This is a global economy. And the idea of simply divestiture being the alpha and omega for all of our problems, I don't think will necessarily get us there. But once again, we're all talking about hypotheticals. We're all talking about actions without evidence of wrongdoing. And that's not how we operate here in the United States. You don't just go to prison because the government decides we don't like you. We don't go to prison because we think you might be dangerous. No, instead, prosecutors provide evidence. The government provides evidence. They show wrongdoing. They have clear and convincing evidence. And then we take actions. And I think, unfortunately, a lot in D.C., a lot in other parts of the country are putting the cart way before the horse and trying to leapfrog national security experts. And once again, we must wait for our national security experts to let us know whether actions should be taken, whether actions must be taken, and what type of threats there are. But at the same time, we can have the important conversations about how the United States wants to operate in an international market with China, with the CCP, not only TikTok, but all parts of our U.S. economy. Great. Um, the one thing I know, Adam, you had talked about the, um, you know, your kind of issues with a, a Oracle run audit. Um, what are both of your thoughts on audits by some independent entity? I mean, I, I think my concern is that the way the Chinese government operates will never show up in an audit. Right. Um, that the way that they operate is that if you are a Chinese employee uh, of a company, you have a oath of loyalty to the government and as a party member and you have to abide by whatever. If the government shows up at your door and says you need to give us this, you need to do these six things, you have to do those six things. And um, and so that's not going to show up in an audit. Right. That's not going to show up in a uh, in a forensic audit done within the U.S. That will be that that is something that will only happen within Chinese within Chinese walls. And if the Chinese government doesn't show up at the front door with a warrant or a subpoena looking for user data, they come in through the back door. They don't need to go. So sometimes the TikTok executives will say, well, you know, the Chinese government has never issued us a, a, a request for data. And I sort of have to laugh at that because that's not how they don't need to. They don't need to come through the front door. They've got permanent backdoor access through employees because that's the condition of being a, a Chinese citizen. The, the issue that you're raising, Joe, is an important one, and I think it is eminently addressable. And putting on my lawyer hat, putting on my professor hat, you do that through contracts, you do that through responsibilities. Uh, as much as Adam is correct in identifying Oracle's main interest is Oracle, he's absolutely right. And so CFIUS, as part of this authorization, can condition Oracle can require Oracle, because once again, these are contracts, can require Oracle to provide the type of audits that Adam is referring to, can require that Oracle sign off, not to TikTok, but to the US government under penalties, under public reputational harm, uh, upon financial harm, those types of things. And that can be done through contracts. We do it all the time. One of the things that has been batted around on this issue is something called a duty of care. Now, as an attorney, that's an incredibly high standard. Duty of care means 
that you must put somebody else's interest before your own. And if you do, there are financial and litigious consequences as a result. That's an incredibly high bar. It's a bar that we have for money managers, for example, because we want to make sure that they're putting my interests ahead of their own. And that is another opportunity where you can condition Oracle. You can condition a board of directors at TikTok to have a duty of care, not to TikTok, not to Oracle, but to the federal government, to CFIUS, to something like that, to the American people, to the protection of that data. And that way you don't have these conflicts of interest where Oracle may try to sweep stuff under the rug to maintain TikTok as a business partner, but instead cannot sweep it under the rug because they are not responsible for Oracle. They're not responsible to TikTok. They're responsible to the U.S. government and to the American people. So there are eminently ways to contract around this concern and have Oracle be the point person who verifies that there isn't a backdoor. And if they do, Oracle gets uh, uh, run through the rafters. And if TikTok verifies and they have a duty of care to the U.S. government and there is this backdoor, then they get in trouble. So we do have actionable and contractual ways to do this. And it is not beyond the pale to think that it can be done through contracts. And that's what I hopefully expect to see. But I know I, I sound like I'm beating a drum here. TikTok is not the security concern, or at least is not the only security concern we should have with China. And we need to do everything we can to harden, to secure, and to make sure that our critical infrastructure and our, our national infrastructure and cyber infrastructure are secured against foreign actors and these types of threats. So as much as everyone wants to talk about TikTok because it's interesting and everyone can kind of picture it in their, their minds, let's remember we had pipelines shut down, we had the FAA shut down, we've had incredible security breaches occur. They're not sexy, they're not attractive, they're not fun to talk about but they can decimate our nation in ways that a viral TikTok video just can't. So let's talk about TikTok, but let's also have the more robust conversation that needs to happen about protecting America from foreign actors, regardless of where they are located. All right. Well, um, we're recording this kind of in mid-January. Um, and you know, I'd like to just, you know, uh, if I can uh, put you guys on the spot a little bit as you're uh, as you make your closing thoughts. Um, you know, where where are we? Where are we when uh, you know the cherry blossoms come out, or or when uh, when when it, the sweltering heat here in uh, in DC uh, in the summertime? Right? Where, where do you think we're gonna we're gonna end up here? And and then your closing thoughts on on uh, on the entire issue. Well, I think my my prediction is that. Ultimately, the administration follows the path that CFIUS followed in the Grinder case um, th two years ago, three years ago, which was to require divestiture, though I think it'll be done quietly. I think that um, in order to prevent the divestiture from becoming the heart of a political um, football between the U.S. and China for a big uh, for the bilateral relationship, I think that uh, American officials will go to uh, bite dance and say, we are, 
going, we, we are going to insist you be divested. Um, we'd rather not make this a big public to do. Start seeking an American buyer, uh, and you have X amount of time to, to do it. And uh, that's my prediction for kind of how this how this unfolds. That's essentially what happened, uh, I believe, in the in the grinder case. And and again, I think that you know, I do think there's probably been one of the things that has probably held some of the Biden administration back from aggressive action sooner is the reality that TikTok is a really popular app, especially among young people, and a concern about not wanting to appear to be banning it, sparking a backlash, a voter backlash. I don't think a divestiture, divestiture is not a ban. Um, a divestiture is just a divestiture, saying you can continue to operate in this country, you just have to be owned by an American because of what we believe to be national security concerns. And that's that's my prediction for how this unfolds. I'm looking forward to hearing from the national security experts, uh, CFIUS, has been working on this for a number of years. Unfortunately, when it comes to government, sometimes doing nothing is the easiest cause of action because then nobody gets angry at you. Uh, but I think they're doing a real disservice to the American people by not coming out with a report one way or the other. I can't pontificate on what national security experts will do because I'm not a national security expert. But I think once that decision is made, once that report is made public, then we can all begin talking about what are the next steps, whether it is, as Adam described, divestiture, whether it is uh, the ban, or whether it is, hey, they will do this whole new system where they keep all American data on American servers run by Americans. So those are kind of the three outcomes I expect. And I think that regardless, CFIUS needs to get moving. They've had three years to do this analysis. And either, you know, take an action or get off the toilet and in, and give everyone the no, the go, no go that we've all been waiting for. Great. Thanks. Well, Adam, Carl, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for being on the show. And let's have you back later in the year as things develop. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tech Policy Grind podcast. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts, with an S, at ilpfoundry.us, or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host, producer, and editor of the show, and this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, particularly Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Allison McReynolds, our Accessibility Coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Erna Education Foundation. Of course, the thoughts and opinions expressed in this episode don't reflect those of the employers and affiliated organizations of any of our show's team, including me. And we'll see you in just about a month for the full launch of Season 4 of the show, post-State of the Net, where we'll be interviewing leaders in the tech policy space on their takes on the issues of the day. So get excited. I know I can't wait. Signing off for now, and see y'all then.